Welcome to The Scrap Show, a production of Recycling Today. Covering the business of scrap metal recycling, we feature conversations about markets, technology, the industry's rich history, and the traditions and ways of doing business that stay reliably familiar. Listen in as guests from across the country and around the world, processors, traders, and industry allies provide insights and observations. The Scrap Show, a conversation between friends in an industry with a rich history and a bright future. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Taylor, Senior Editor with the Recycling Today Media Group, and welcome to The Scrap Show. As the name states pretty plainly, we're here to talk about scrap recycling. In each episode, we'll visit with someone, or sometimes more than one person, and hear about their scrap journeys and get their views on how the industry is evolving in this new decade. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Becky Proler of Southern Core Recycling. Becky is probably familiar to anyone listening who is in the scrap industry in or around Houston, Texas, or in the Gulf Coast region. Her last name tells us she's part of a family with deep roots in the scrap industry. It's a name that's even attached to a scrap process. And I suspect we'll talk about, a little bit about that later. Becky, welcome to The Scrap Show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's our pleasure. I will start, I guess, with a question most of our guests will figure is going to come first. I'll ask you, uh, can you please tell us when and how you got your start in the scrap business? And was it inevitable growing up as a proler, or did you have to either convince yourself or, or, be, or convince some other people that you're, <laughs> this is what you want to do? Right. Um, I'm, still, I'm still asking that question, by the way, at, at okay. 50, uh, 57. Uh -huh. So um, I actually got a degree in uh, counseling psychology. Um, my uh, background uh, had, a, you know, got a master's in that and did some work in neuropsych up in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my father had started, he had sort of broken away from Proler. Um, it had, uh, was in the process of being sold to Schnitzer. And um, he started a pick apart yard. He asked me if I was interested in, in coming back uh, to Houston. I was living okay. in Philadelphia at the time. So that's a so, more of an auto uh, salvage kind of, uh, of an operation. Right. Pick apart. Mm -hmm. So I started the core end of that business. Um, and that's why our name, you know, SDR, the, the uh, C stands for core. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did that in the, in the late 80s um, after graduating. And uh, I wanted to come back to Texas. Uh, I loved Philadelphia, but the, the weather is just too cold. Okay. So um, anyway, I came back, uh, started this division within his pick apart yard. Okay. And uh, eventually it grew into Southern Core Recycling, um, which became a separate company. Uh, through the years, cores uh, were very important uh, part of the uh, auto industry, a core mm -hmm. is basically a part that gets remanufactured. Ah, so we would source these from salvage yards and whether it was heads, cranks, blocks, starters, alternators, AC compressors, just a whole line of different products that could be remanufactured. Uh -huh. Well, at, at some point, uh, the auto industry came up with a great idea of selling cars at 0% down, 0% interest. So the whole idea of, of keeping a car for over, 
you know, four or five years mm -hmm. um, and putting these remanufactured parts in there okay. was no yeah. longer, you know, in, in my opinion, a very viable business. So mm -hmm. we had always been in the, the Southern Core had always specialized in a certain part of the scrap business, which was casting, because okay. uh, we cleaned a lot of automotive engines and the byproduct of that is casting. So we had always been in that in that kind of business, and we we decided um, in the in the 90s um, and in 2000 to really start to focus in on uh, scrap metal and in in particular this cast iron that we were developing. Okay. So that's kind of how we got started. We commissioned a shredder in uh, uh, 2011 to do nothing but aluminum. Uh -huh. and, okay. Uh, so again. Our focus was on specialized types of material coming out of this, you know, original core industry. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been running as a full line scrap company ever since. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, I will say that uh, when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, um, I did go to the office with my father a lot where, you know, my family invented the auto shredder. Mm -hmm. So... Um, where my other siblings would play inside. Um, I was outside, uh, usually around where the pickers were that my father would stick me with um, all of the, the people that were picking the non-ferrous okay. out, of, out of the iron at the time. Uh -huh. and, right. uh, I enjoyed that. I mean, so it, it's, it, it, was, it was something that was always there for me and um, I, I don't, you know, I don't regret it at all. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Is Southern Core still running a shredder? Are you still shredding aluminum or? We are. Um, in fact, we're commissioning uh, another shredder. Um, and, you know, our focus is very much on these specialized products that we've, that we've had over 30 years of experience with. Oh, okay. Um, so how we bring those to market, how we, uh, the quality that we, that we're able to, to give our customers, the suppliers, and the differentiation and products. You know, you've got alloys, you've got cast. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm very, very interested in that. And in fact, my family has a history with aluminum. Um, you know, we used to say that we don't worry about anything that doesn't stick to a magnet. Well, the truth is, is that many years ago, um, my, my uncle, uh, invented a process where he could take aluminum, shred it, and in the very same process, turn it into an ingot. Hmm, okay. So it's continuous. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that was very unique and innovative as well. So, I mean, we've had a history with, with, uh, with ferrous as well as non-ferrous models. Okay, terrific. And so at, the, at this point, you're, you, you're a processing company. I take it a trading company as well, because you need to know where the right homes are for these, for these metals. Yeah, um, you know, our focus is on specific types of metals, mm -hmm. and we sell to a broad range of, of consumers. Uh, and on the cast iron business, you know, we've, we've, we've had a long relationship with Fiat, Caterpillar, um, local domestic companies as well. Mm. On the, okay. the the aluminum business, we've gone worldwide. I think that that's safe to say that pretty much anybody that uh, has the capacity is is in the trading business now. Sure. Okay. 
Well, Becky, it's hard not to notice that I think it's still safe to say it's a single digit percentage of uh, executives in the scrap industry who are women. And I guess like, the question occurs, to what extent have you had to overcome any barriers as a woman, woman running a scrap company? Um, you know, and if there have been difficulties, do you sense there's been progress on that front in the last 20, 30 years? Um, you know, I, I, I have, I understand why people ask that question. Um, but the, the, the answer is, you know, for me, it, it just, it is what it is. I, mm. I can't take my gender. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't any more than I could change my last name. Um, I think that the, I think the industry is starting to be more aware that uh, there are females out there that either own, run, or mm -hmm. are leadership positions. Even in some of the large, you know, companies, you've got, you know, people in leadership positions, CMC, Commercial mm -hmm. Metals, has right. a female president, yes. Nucor has a female senior vice president. Omni has, you know, somebody on their board that's a female schnitzer, you know, you, has a female president. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like there, there is this top level uh, uh, ladder that, that women are getting to the top. There is the independent ladder that women have always had. Mm, okay. And this middle level where you see um, entry level managers, and then, you know, department heads and stuff like that. I think that's where we need to fill in. Mm, I see. Um, a lot of the uh, leadership that's at the top um, in some of these larger companies have come from other uh, business models, such as, you know, you've got lawyers and accountants and things like that, HR people, which has been a typical female uh, career path. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that you're going to, I feel very comfortable in my role as a female in, 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 in the scrap metal business. It wasn't easy. Um, it, it, but then, you know, I don't know what easy is, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's not, it's just not a path that, that I've, you know, I've taken for whatever reason. Okay. So, uh, you know, whether, I still get, I'll still make phone calls and say, this is Becky Kroller and I'll still have, and it's usually men that say, you know, which one are you married to? Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I know, I know that that means something different to them than it does to me. I, pro most of the time I ignore it and say, no, I am a Kroller. I'm not married to one, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, it happened last week. So, um, I, you know, my job is hard enough to buy and sell scrap that to deal with the gender politics is just not something uh, that I have time for. But I do think that um, ISRI, uh, our, our National, National Trade Association, has done right. a very good job at, at uh, nurturing um, this, this gender issue and and supporting it and you know we are we have women in recycling now which i think mm -hmm. is a good group there's going to be mentoring that's going on and i think the more you see faces out there that uh look like you the more comfortable you know you're going to be it's like mm -hmm. going to a restaurant and, you, and there's nobody there does that mean the food's not any good 
So, you know, yes, going to events, having, having biz, these businesses being represented by women will, will, should increase the number of women that want to come into it. Terrific. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I guess it's time to maybe talk about that proler name. Um, and as we, it, it's very well known. And in fact, it was attached to a process and an equipment known as a prolerizer, which I think was trademarked at, at one time and probably still is. And of course, the Israel Proler Lifetime Achievement Award, Israel gives that out just about every year to one or two people. What can you tell us about the origins of the Proler family as shredding pioneers? You know, the stories are out there and I had the good fortune to talk to Sam Proler a couple of times and here's, here's his version of it. What, how did the Prolers get into, the, get into shredding and decide it was time to maybe build their own shredders? You know, I think that's really the, the story of, of the independent uh, and the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, uh, my... Uh, my uncles and my father had been approached by U.S. Steel and a number of steel companies to make a cleaner spec okay. so that they could remelt mm -hmm. in the furnaces that they were currently using. Right. And uh, at that tried. time, people were bailing autos. There's the auto bail correct. bundle. Is that correct? Correct. In okay. fact, um, I have a great picture of my grandfather. They had created a bundle, a bale. They called it a bin bundle, named after my grandfather. And proler. Okay. And um, they even looked at cryogenics. They even tried to freeze the scrap. Really? And yeah, in a freezer and see if it would be more brittle and break up that way. I mean, that they, <laughs> they tried everything. And I what's see, amazing yeah. is these guys never had anything more than some of them didn't even have a high school. Sammy didn't have a high school education. Okay. He dropped out and in, in the eighth grade. Mm. Um, and yet they they patented this this marvelous machine in 1957, 57, which okay. was eight years later, Newell patented his. So mm -hmm. um, they were really ahead of their times. Right. Uh, so, but it was, it was the, the process, and it, it's my understanding that the process was led by the need by the steel mills to have cleaner scrap. Right. Okay. Upgrade of that material. Um, and so you know, my, my uncle Sammy and Izzy and Jaime and my father uh, were able to develop and innovate a process to actually size material mm -hmm. so that you could get the material that the mills didn't want out. Right, correct. Um, okay. And, you know, it, it, was, it was revolutionary. Um, my uncle passed away uh, last year in mm -hmm. Uh, uh, right before COVID, uh, Jaime Proler, okay. and I was able to speak um, at his funeral. Hmm. And and the one thing I said to people is, uh, this was you know we act, there were actually people there because um, it was right prior to COVID. I see. And everyone was sitting in in this large sanctuary, and I said, you know, the chairs that you're sitting in, the metal in those chairs is probably recycled, and it went through a process that this man that we are here to honor helped develop mm -hmm. and the, the car the uber that you took you know <laughs> to the funeral today right. uh could have been shredded in the original you know prolerizer 
So I'm very proud of that. I mean, you have to admit, you know, when, when you have family members that set the bar that high, mm -hmm. very hard <laughs> to get over that. A bit of pressure as well, huh? Right. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what they did. And, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that, that, you know, I'm associated with that name and, and, um, you know, I think it really lends itself to the fact that there is a lot of entrepreneurial spirit out there and it just needs to be harnessed and right. you have a, a, a problem and you have a solution. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about being in the U.S. and being in this business is there's still problems and there are still solutions. And we sure. just need to keep working in that direction. And I think the story that gets passed down is probably, I don't know if it was one of your uncles or great uncles that had met with some steel, steel mill representatives, was flying back to Houston and started making sketches on a, on a cocktail napkin. I don't know if that, uh, is that part yeah, of it? Yeah, <laughs> um, that, that is, a, that, so they were in, my, my uncle Izzy, okay. who would later become the president, and uh, my uncle Sammy, who is currently the president, um, they were in Salt Lake City, Utah, hmm. on an airplane, and the, uh, apparently it was a very, bad day to fly oh, and they were flying uh, back to Houston okay. and it was a prop plane hmm. and uh, Sammy saw the props and how they were moving in the, in the, the rain uh -huh. and the, the action, the chopping action of that. <laughs> okay. And that's how he got his idea about, well, maybe what we need to do is chop this up hmm. somehow you know, get a motor that could drive uh, some equipment that would literally pulverize the material. And um, I think my, my other uncle Izzy was sitting there worried about whether they would actually take off or not. Yeah. And the, the cocktail napkin, napkin you know, I, 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 I've, you know, I've heard that as well. Um, but you know, all of all of my uncles and my father were very humbled by this. I mean, mm -hmm. this was not something that uh, they did it because they wanted to create this new market. Okay. And yeah. you know, the fact that it revolutionized everything, and they kept trying to come up with new ideas, and did um, that. That was just that was their drive. That was their motivation. It really, you know, that that's who they were. And um, so I'm very proud of that. And yes, it probably did happen on the back of a cocktail napkin. And I imagine it went through several different versions before it, it ended up. Right, right. That's, that's terrific. And all or most of them uh, live long enough to see shredder installations happen around the world and see the complicated downstream systems that followed. I mean, they, they really, they had a sense yeah. of uh, how much they changed the industry. Yes. Um, and, and like I said, you know, Sammy was still innovating in his 80s. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, he was trying to develop a liquid magnet at one point for the foundry industry. Oh, okay. And um, so, yes, I, I think that they would be very, uh, they'd be very proud of the fact that the industry has grown um, and, and sort of modified itself to fit various, you know, problems, uh, challenges. Um, I think that some things never change, uh, and we're going to get into that in another question. Um, 
But yes, I think they'd be very proud of it. I, I do want to briefly, because you touched on something that I do mm -hmm. want to kind of uh, push, which is Please. the uh, the Proler, the Israel Proler Award. Yes. So um, this was an award. It's my understanding that uh, Israel, that Gulf Coast Israel named this after uh, my uncle Israel Proler. Um, and it's, it's a leadership award and a service award. And we will be giving this award, uh, uh, giving the recipients of this award for 2020 and 2021 in mm -hmm. June 8th through 11th uh, at, our, at our live convention. We are actually okay. gonna be the first convention that gets off um, in the ISRI umbrella uh, this, this year. That will be where, so Becky? That's in. It's going to be in San Antonio. Antonio, okay. Uh, June 8th through the 11th. And we are going to be honoring Mel Wright of Wright Scrap Metal. He was the 2020 uh, recipient. Um, and Vicki Roche with Gerdau. Ah, right. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a male and a female as their 2021 uh, recipient. So we're really excited about that. Um, and it, there, there are still people who receive this award that remember Izzy Proler, which is, okay. is, is nice. Mm -hmm. uh, and he especially was very interested in uh, leadership and service to the industry. I see. He knew that you had to not just be a leader, you had to be an advocate. Okay. And I think that, um, the folks that have received this award in the past have been both leaders and advocates. I see. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's a great test, great testimony to the life he led. I'm going to switch topics a little bit then to, to geography, I guess. Uh, you're in Houston, you're in the oil and gas heartland. And, you know, I guess I have to ask someone in your position, especially with the auto salvage aspects to your career. What do you make of the emergence of electric vehicles and, you know, the scrutiny of fossil fuels? Do you, do you think that your company, the scrap industry overall, should they expect, should you expect some, uh, some major changes and disruptions in the next 10, 20 years? Well, you know, um, I don't, in terms of where we're going with um, electric vehicles, I think it's a natural progression. Uh, we have to, to look at other ways, especially, you know, greenhouse effect is, is definitely, you know, a concern. Um, even the oil industry folks admit that. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what's the best way to advance our technology and maintain sort of, you know, the, the equilibrium that people are used to seeing? Um, it, on the, the recycling side, you got to remember, we see end of life vehicles. Right. And end of life and beginning of life are two different things, right? Whether it's a person or a vehicle. There's, there's always a lot of focus on manufacturing and coming up with new ways and to harness energy and new ideas, making a car lighter. That's why we're using aluminum bodies now instead of steel. All of these things add up to a lot. The, the, big, the big challenge is how do we focus on end of life? Because we're starting to see this in the supply chain now. These cars, these hybrid cars with the batteries, all of these vehicles are now starting to come in through our domain. 
and how we deal with them is is something that um, is is cause for concern. Um, many many years ago, you know, tires were a big deal, and um, you know, how do you recycle tires? Right. Yes. Uh, and you can shred them, but all you're doing is making miniature tires out of out of regular size tires. Mm -hmm. And how do we apply that? You know, are we just gonna you know fill up our landfills with it? Are we gonna use it as road base? How are we gonna use it? So um, you know that's that was the issue that the recycler had to deal with, not the manufacturer. Uh huh. Right. And I think that that we're gonna see the same thing happen with EV. Okay. Um, and, and I'm not sure if that's fortunate or unfortunate. Sure. Uh, we're going to have lithium batteries in these cars. And um, in fact, uh, two weeks ago in, in Houston, my hometown, there was a uh, Tesla that caught on fire. Uh, I don't know if, I think it made national news. All right. Uh, it took the fire department 30,000 gallons of water to put the fire in. That's a lot of water. That is. In fact, um, I was told that the fire department actually had to call somebody at Tesla to figure out how to put the fire out. Uh -huh. So, you know, these things are, are concerning. The manufacturer, I get the fact that their, their main focus is building the vehicle. Selling. And you know. <laughs> they're having to worry about, you know, what to do with, you know, all of the various regulations that they have to go through. But eventually, you have to you have to deal with the end of life, and um, that's that's my concern: is what do we do with this material when it gets to its loss of use point? Correct. Uh, and I, I'm more than comfortable with with dealing with that, but I'm not sure that there's that we've advanced the the uh, innovation enough to know how to. It's very clear to me that Tesla is looking at that. Right. Um, I know Toyota looked at it, but the bottom line is these vehicles are now in the supply chain. Correct. They are coming to us. And what's gonna happen when they hit? Right. And the, the truth is, I don't think we're prepared for it at this point. God, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we, we asked that question, or I've asked that question, is because, you know, clearly you've, it's just a, quite a different animal. A lot of the weight is that battery, and that battery isn't something that's going to go anywhere near a shredder. So then you've left with perhaps an aluminum body, probably still a steel frame, no exhaust system. You know, none of those or fewer of those cast parts, certainly. It's just a very, seems to be a very different creature. Yeah, and of course, you know, being down here in Texas, you know, we we understand, and I'm 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 pretty sure the manufacturers are starting to understand this. That's why I think the government is is pushing this on their infrastructure bill. There has to be enough infrastructure to support this, mm -hmm. and there isn't right now. Okay. And you know, will it take a decade for that to happen, or two decades? Nobody really knows the answer to that. Um, All right. So you know, I wouldn't give up my my 350 Chevy engine just yet. No, <laughs> exactly. Especially if in Houston, they, you know, some of the oils refined so close, you don't want to, don't want to hurt that industry either. Right. How would you, let's talk about Houston a few minutes for a few minutes, if we could, how, how would you assess Houston as a place to conduct business? Um, you know, in terms of freight, hiring, recruiting people, 
business opportunities? Or would you consider yourself a Houston booster? It sounds like, based on the weather, at least, you, you like Houston over, over the north. <laughs> well, that's, that's very true. Um, it's been challenging uh, to keep and, and, and uh, retain and train staff. You know, I, I think that that is across the board. I think COVID has, has that's probably one of the, the, the first things that strikes me about any city, whether it's Houston, Los Angeles, New York, there's a, there is a labor issue out there for all of us okay. as if we're in post COVID, because I don't really know if we are or not. Mm. Um, but we, we, um, Texas is, is been a, has been a very good place to do business. Being on the Gulf Coast has been a, a good place to do business because you do have uh, one of the number one ports in the mm -hmm. U.S. Right. Uh, especially, you know, since New Orleans had all of these hurricanes, Houston has been sort of the go-to port in this area. So okay. that's helped us from a transportation standpoint. Um, we have new mills opening up. Uh, Omni and SDI is opening up a new mill that, you know, Texas, yeah. state hasn't had in 30 years or so. Okay. So uh, that's, those are good signs for us in terms of business. Sure, and then, sure. you know, our, our proximity to Mexico mm -hmm. is actually uh, very good for us. You know, I mean, Monterey, Mexico is, oh, by car, seven or eight hours. Uh, you fly there, you know, in an hour and a half. Monterey is, is you know, literally the Pittsburgh of, of Mexico. I mean, uh, okay. where all the manufacturing is. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of growth now, uh, not just in steel, but in, in aluminum and alloys. I see. So, you know, that proximity for us is, is very good. You know, the Rust Belt, which is the Midwest, mm -hmm. um, has always been a, a healthy area for manufacturing. And, and I think uh, more and more manufacturing is coming down to this area. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's, it's something that uh, our employees are probably our top priority okay. besides our customers. Right. Because, you know, I've seen, I have seen this come and go, been a source of growth uh, for me, and I think will continue to be a source of growth. And I'm, you know, I'm very happy with it. Uh, on the lighter side, if, if one of our listeners finds themselves in Houston, where what's a can't miss restaurant down there? What's what's the place? It's hard well, to pick Mexican one perhaps food, on the spot. You can't yeah. go wrong with Mexican food or with okay. Food. All right. So, well, that's hard to argue with that. You're putting me on the spot by that telling was. me now, I wasn't prepared for that question. No, that one came out of left field a little bit. Yep. All right, let's get back to this, the scrap topics then. Um, you know, a question I'd like to ask someone who's been in the business for a few years is, um, and who's, in your case, as a family, has been in the business for, for many years. What are some ways of doing business in the scrap industry that you would identify as having stayed consistent throughout the decades, the constants, I guess we might say? And then conversely, what are some things that have changed that, um, you know, someone from our previous generation who's been away from the business for 30 years might look at and just be very, very amazed to see. So I guess maybe we'll start with that constant, the things that, the bedrocks. Yeah, you know, I, I thought a lot about that. that. And um, 
especially you know these past over the past year Mm. uh, i've really noticed this is a relationship business okay and that really has not changed i mean when you think about it buyers are matched with sellers all over the world now right and millions and billions of dollars are trading hands um and and in, in most cases the the buyer has not visually seen the material and so we have brokers and these brokers create a relationship between buyers and sellers and to me that's a vital part of our business uh, is creating these relationships maintaining them Um, i think with covid you know the whole idea of zoom meetings i'm a very three-dimensional person (laughs) and i gotta tell you it's very hard to you know pick this piece up and say here this is what it is can you see it <laughs> out here yeah I'll, I'll let you you know a piece of, of shred the camera and, picks it up but it's not quite yeah. the same as holding in your hand right and and it's not quite the same as reading someone mm. and seeing their reaction to different things so okay you know, my uncles and my father had always thought of this as a relationship business mm-hmm and uh that you can't do it remotely and uh, that i think is something that we're learning in fact uh, just to give you some idea because we're the first convention uh, out right. in right. over a year mm-hmm. we're already filling up i mean okay. it's going to be a blockbuster year in terms of people people want to be together yeah not just buyers and sellers but all the equipment guys right of all course yes that supply you with parts. That's another it, case where you want to touch it and see it and, put, you know, not correct. just see it, but also touch it and put your hands on it. Yeah. I, and I don't think we're ever going to, there's no substitute for that. Mm-hmm. There's just no substitute for it. So I think that that is uh, a mainstay in our business. Um, the, 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 the thing that has changed is that uh, I think, and my uncle uh, Jaime, right before he uh, he sold the schnitzer realized that uh, mills were getting in the in the scrap metal business mm, yes and they were they were purchasing uh, large uh, independent and uh, other scrap companies um, and utilizing them as you know their protected feedstock so that was that was something that he was concerned about because now he was competing against his supplier. And that was how many years ago? Oh, that was over thirty years ago. That was thirty years ago. Okay. And um, you know that was a, a big deal for him, and right. he, he didn't know how to to do that. He didn't. He saw that on the horizon, and he's like, "There's nothing I can do about it," but. You know, in terms of a business model, it's very hard to compete uh, against, you know, a, a mill that has their own scrapyards. Right. And I think we're seeing that now. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is the, I, I think that uh, the independent yards, the, 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 the family owned as well as the stock, you know, the Sims of the world and things like that think their focus is directly on scrap on recycling on these these innovations and i think that's a good thing Mm -hmm. i think we can all compete we can all work together 
um, because I think each one, you know, each each entity offers something different, and uh, I don't think you can have one and not the other. I see, right? Okay. Okay. So I think that's how things have changed. And, you know, I think the relationships, that's how things are going to be. I, I don't see mm -hmm. that at all. Okay. Terrific. Interesting thoughts. What um, I think maybe we'll close with the question that looks forward. And uh, that would essentially be, it's, it's kind of a cliche question, but for the, for the younger person who's entering the scrap industry or maybe even not even certain they want to enter the scrap industry. You know, what would be your, what would be your maybe either message to welcome them, in, encourage them to be in the industry, or even could you mix in a warning? Don't join this industry unless. But what would be sort of your your any 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 wisdom upon entering the scrap industry for a younger persons? Something they can, something they can feel comfortable out, or or maybe something they should be aware of about how the scrap industry is different or better or <laughs> is its own is its own creature. So, I mean, I come from the, this angle as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I'm not somebody that, um, and I think that it's interesting, you probably will get a different answer for someone um, who uh, is not an entrepreneur and is in the All scrap right. industry, and there's plenty of that. Okay. Um, I was lucky enough to make a life and a career out of my passion. Mm -hmm. And that okay. doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 people and and I knew it, you know. I mean, as soon as I my father said, "Okay, you're going to run this division," I was able to memorize casting numbers, Brian, of motors, and there's thousands of them, and I can look at a motor still today and tell you, "Okay, that's a 231 Buick. This is a 1.5 Mazda." I mean, you know, I it just came so easy to me. Uh -huh. And, okay. um, you know, so I, I, I have been really lucky that um, my career has been a passion for me. Mm -hmm. And, and so my angle would be for these folks to find their passion and find out what you're passionate about. And if it is, whether, uh, you know, it's, it's being in this business or whether mm -hmm. it's a particular thing about the business okay. on Paris. Uh, there's now paper and rubber. We have e-recycling. There's so many things to choose from now. Sure. Yes. Um, and you know, that's where I think uh, I really thrived was because I just was so interested in in how this this product gets delivered and how it gets merchandised and. Um, it's interesting, you know, my father grew up in the scrap metal business, but my mother uh, had a retail store. She sold uh, uh, women's clothing okay. years. And that's really how I learned merchandising. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, when you come to, to our yard, it's very unique the way that we present the product to the customer. Okay. And everybody said, oh, you, you got that from the polar side. That's no, I didn't. I got that from the Epstein side. Oh, that's very I interesting. was, <laughs> yes, I was all about the merchandise. Uh, uh -huh. my, my mother, I did not wait on people, but I made sure that, that you know, where everything was and color coordinated and okay. you put this there. And, and display. Yes, it was uh -huh. all about that. So, okay. you know, those are the kinds of 
something that utilizes your, you know, your creativity, mm-hmm. I think is a, is a great thing to, to tell people that are trying to get into a business. And this business will utilize your creativity. It'll also utilize your patience. All right. You know, I mean, it'll, <laughs> it, it's gonna, it's gonna test you probably like anything does. It sounds like you're reminded um, of that daily pretty much, huh? <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I really, I think that there, uh, and, and, I, and the one thing I, I, I stress, especially to my nephews is you have to be patient. Okay. You have to, you know, if you can't get the instant gratification in two days, then wait two years, hmm. and then wait 20 years. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it is something that, you know, um, you get glimpses of brilliance. Okay. And in between those glimpses of brilliance, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a long, you know, road, but um, that, that to me is sort of the, the effort. It's worth the effort. All right. That seems to me like a very well thought out advice and, uh, and gives a young person something to think about. Well, Becky, you've demonstrated your patience by talking to me for about 40 minutes, and I know it's, uh, it's, it's morning where you are, the work whole workday lies ahead. So um, I want to thank you very much for your time today on The Scrap Show, and I, I certainly enjoy talking to you, and I wish you well for the upcoming Gulf Coast Convention. Let's give that one more plug. It's June 8th through 11th. Is that correct? Correct. Thank you, sir. I hope to have a lot of people there. I think there's going to be a couple people from recycling today there. So at least we'll have, well, like everyone else in this business, we're ready to, to get back to hopefully shaking hands or at least bumping elbows or something that involves a actual human interaction. So I, I hope that's uh, what we keep doing in the scrap show as well. Thank you, Brian. All right, Becky, take care. Thank you so much for your time.